And he concludes at the end of this psalm that he can always count on two things. God's goodness and God's loyal love. In the first three verses of what is surely the best known of the psalms, David employs the figure of a shepherd to recall the blessings he enjoyed because of his relationship with the Lord. Not because of who he was. Not because he's a tough guy. Not because he's a smart guy. Not because he's an artistic guy. Not because he's a musician. Not because he's talented. The reason that he can enjoy these blessings is because of his relationship with the Lord. And I've got to stop and tell you, that's the same reason that you and I can enjoy these blessings. That's the same reason that even in our darkest moments, we can open the Bible to this very familiar spot. No matter what the dark moment is, no matter what the valley of the shadow is that you're going through at this particular time, you can open your Bible to this brilliant passage, and you can come away with extraordinary comfort. He begins with the familiar, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because Yahweh was his shepherd, his provider, his protector, his comforter, and everything else that the idea of the metaphor shepherd implies, David is confident that he can never lack for anything. This, don't read it wrong. This doesn't mean, this is not to imply, that God gave David everything he desired. That's not what, that's not what I shall not want means. It's not implying that, that God gave David everything that he wanted or desired. Of course not. No good parent does that. You didn't do that with your children. I haven't done it with mine. No good parent would just indiscriminately give their child everything they asked for. Just from a health standpoint, we almost call that parental malpractice. If my parents, if my mom would have given me everything that I would have asked for, all I would have ever had was M&M's for probably for breakfast and lunch and dinner and maybe some other things that she cooked that were marvelous, that were much more healthy, but you see the point. We all restrict, because we love our children, we all restrict some of those things that they ask for. So, well, no, that, I'd love to help you with that one, but that's not in your best interest. So that's not what is being implied here. That kind of parenting, or the kind of parenting that would give a child anything that they asked for, would produce spoiled rather than productive children. And that's not the mark of a good parent. But God is a perfect father. Perfect father. Not just a good father. He's a perfect father. And he knows how to give good gifts to his children. I would like to think that I know how to give good gifts to my own children. But deep down, I know I, I don't. Not like God. He knows how to give the good gifts. David is asserting that because the very creator of the universe, and get that, that is key, the very creator of the universe is his personal shepherd, that he could never lack for anything that's necessary for him to live on this earth and do God's will for just as long as God wants him to be here. He can never lack for anything. Now, that's huge, especially in the time in which we live. But if we remember that the God who created the universe, if you use a biblical phrase, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which means he's, he owns vast wealth, that's who's shepherding you. That's who cares about you. That's who protects you. That's who provides for you. If we get that, then we're going to get the comfort of this psalm. And David got that. David realizes that his shepherd is Yahweh, the very creator of the universe. And guess what? That's your shepherd, too. 
And that's my shepherd too. The same can be said for all of us. Don't just transport your mind back 3,000 years to the hills outside of Bethlehem and say, well, that was neat for that guy. He Wasn't he a special fellow? Wasn't he a saint? Wasn't he a marvelous believer in Yahweh? No, the same thing can be said for you with regard to who is shepherding you. God is our shepherd. The same God who created everything sustains you and me. So how foolish it is to ever question God's ability to provide. God's ability to heal. He made the body. Why do we wonder if he could heal someone with cancer? If you've never meditated upon this, it's time to pause and let it sink in. Really let it sink in. Who David is speaking about when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Omnipotent God is the one shepherding. He's the one looking out for us. He's the one who's providing for us. He's the one who's protecting us in this life. And he's the one that's going to hold our hands as we cross that bridge into the next one. Same God, the same one that David's talking about. That's the one that's going to hold my hand when I cross over from Persia and Jordan. But he's also the same one, just like he protected David, he's going to protect you. The same God that caused David to say the battle is the Lord's and gave him the courage to go out and fight that Philistine is the God that's going to give you the courage to go to that doctor's visit and get the report next week. It's the same God. In David's day, sheep, commonly, pastured in the wilderness, which was land that received very little rainfall. So a shepherd's task, one of the primary tasks of a shepherd, was to find an area that had acceptable grass for his sheep to feed upon. The way he puts it in the next phrase, making me to lie down in green pastures, suggests not just adequate feeding, but ample feeding. When the Lord feeds you, He feeds you so that you have a full belly. In other words, He gives you all that you need. He's not going to give you more than you need. He's not going to allow you to just stuff yourself to the point that you're sick. That wouldn't be in your best interest. But he's going to, the food that He's going to bring you is ample. The sheep are fed and happy and have no need to look any further for any place to eat. We, as believers in the Lord Jesus, are fed and happy. And we shouldn't seek our happiness outside of our relationship with Him. Isn't He enough? Isn't He enough? Where have we gone wrong? That we seek our happiness in alcohol, or we seek our happiness in drugs, or we seek our happiness in in a multitude of things that we think are going to bring us joy. Lying down also hits us security. If you're lying down in the wilderness, you must not be up and ready to run. Since our Lord is the shepherd, is our shepherd. We know that we will be well cared for and protected. Do you believe that? Do you believe that because the Lord is our shepherd, we will be well cared for and protected? The second line, he leads me beside still water. That again stresses the idea of restfulness and satisfaction. He restores my soul. Oh, isn't that a comforting phrase? So providing nourishment and drink, the shepherd restores the life of the hungry and thirsty sheep. By providing 
nourish them and drink, our Lord provides everything that is necessary for us physically. But there's a spiritual application here as well as just a physical application. It's not just that he keeps our bellies filled. The good shepherd refreshes and restores the troubled soul. We all fail. And we all fail way too often. That's not an excuse. Sometimes when pastors say that, they say, well, okay, everybody fails, so I'll just do it some more tomorrow. That's, it's not an excuse to fail more, but it's a reality. We all fail. And we all need restoration. And the Good Shepherd stands ready to repair the loss of fellowship that sin brings with it. We can't do it by ourselves. We can confess our sin. We can acknowledge our failure. But only God has the ability to repair the damage. You do know that, don't you? When you confess your sin, you didn't repair the damage between you and God. You acknowledge that sin. God's the one that restores. We need to keep that straight. He restores our soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Not only does God restore our soul when we confess our sins, not only does He provide for our physical needs, but He also provides us guidance so that we don't just wander aimlessly in this life. I am so glad that the God of the Bible is a theistic God and not a deistic God. A, a deistic God is a God that created the universe but then stood back and does not in, interact with His creation and doesn't reveal Himself to His creation in any way other than naturalism. But the theistic God, the God of the Bible, does interact with His creation. And he's disclosed himself to us. That's something for which we should be very thankful. In God's Word, we have all the information that we need to live a life that glorifies Him. We ought to be grateful for that. We're not walking around in the dark. This gracious self-disclosure is, in part, a result of God's desiring to maintain His own reputation. That's why it says, for His name's sake. How can He hold us accountable for something if He's never told us what his desire is. The good shepherd is a shepherd of integrity. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I see no evil for you are with me. We've long understood this phrase to mean that God is with us through the dying process. So therefore, we can have peace of that very difficult time. And that is truth. That's surely the meaning here, or it's included in the meaning here. But the sphere of meaning, when David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the sphere of meaning is not limited to situations involving death. It includes that, but it's not limited. Actually, the phrase could be understood or translated, even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness. The stresses of life are not limited to situations that involve one's death. The deepest stresses of life actually might include someone else's death or intended death. Or it may include the loss of a job or the meltdown of global markets or the devaluation of currencies or perhaps a separation or divorce. Perhaps it can include political uncertainty. So many things that are included in this phrase, 
even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness, a canyon, some call it, of deep darkness. Canyons, remember the Old West, what happens in canyons, typically in the Old Western? You get shot, right? See, somebody's hiding behind the rock. Yeah, ambush, thank you. You, you. Somebody's hiding behind the rock, and that's the most dangerous place you can go. You're kind of hollering at them. Isn't there a way you could get to Rio Bravo or wherever, this, wherever it is without having to go through that canyon? Because that's a dangerous place. Can't you go around it somehow? Well, no, they always have to go through the canyon. We all know that there's a bad guy behind one of those rocks that's going to shoot them if they get half of a chance. You can see the imagery. This is a canyon. The difference between John Wayne going through that canyon, or Ward Bond going through the canyon, and you and I going through the canyon, is who we've got going with us. The reason I, as a sheep, can be comfortable walking through the valleys of deep darkness, whatever that might be, whether it's my own impending death, or someone that I love impending death, or that doctor's report that we dread, or the visit that your boss wants to have with you tomorrow morning, I'd like to see you in my office at 8, and you have to wonder all night long what that is. That's one of those valleys that David talks about. A valley of deep darkness. I don't know what your valley is tonight. I don't know what's troubling you. I know, Alex, I do know what's troubling some of you, because you've confided to me. But for most of you, you play poker pretty well. I know everybody in this room has something bothering you. Because we live in a fallen world, we all, we all have these things happen. I don't know what, what your valley is, but I do know who's walking through that valley. I do know who's with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I fear no calamity. I fear no disaster. All it's all stuff I fear no disaster. Why? Because you are with me. Does that sound familiar? Think back to our study in Genesis. This doesn't just imply omnipresence. This implies omnipresence with special protection and blessing. Remember how he told the patriarchs, don't be afraid, I'm going to be with you. The reason you don't have to be afraid when you walk through that valley, no matter what that valley is, is because God's with you. You've got to be careful here. Because some of the valleys that, that would frighten me to death don't bother you at all. And some of the things that might really be a very serious valley for you, I might be tempted to think, wow, that's no big deal. Valleys are very specific. And what troubles you may not trouble me, and vice versa. So we, not, we ought not to be overly judgmental. As a matter of fact, we ought not to be judgmental at all when it comes to what valley frightens somebody, because you've got something that frightens you too. The point is, not to all try to throw at our chest and magnify our own spiritual maturity in front of our peers, the the issue is to look who's right beside us when we walk through these dark times. And that's why we can be unafraid, no matter what the dark time is. Why? Because you're with me, because the shepherd is with us. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness out there. I may listen to the radio talk shows too much. I probably look at internet news sites too much. But the more I look, the more I, I see things that we ought to be a little scared about. There's a lot of valleys of darkness out there. But I don't have to be afraid. I should be aware. I should do everything that I can do under my power 
to try to avoid those things and, and try, try to help my fellow countrymen avoid them as well. But I don't have to be afraid. There's a difference. I can be concerned, but not afraid. And I'm not trying to just put hairs here. There's a difference. I can be concerned. And we ought to be concerned. We ought to care. Deeply, deeply care. But this passage tells me that I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God is on our side. You know why darkness is scary? Darkness is scary for kids. It's scary for adults. Darkness is scary because of everything we don't know. We don't know what's behind that rock in that sand. But God does. He's got a bird's eye view. He knows exactly what's going on. We don't need to be afraid of the darkness. We can't see in the darkness, but God can see in the darkness. We don't know, but He does know. What a source of comfort that would be if you just had it. That rod and that staff, they kept us. Shepherds usually had both. The rod was an instrument that would probably be something like a billy club or some sort of strong that the shepherd typically carried in his belt. Maybe this is what David pulled out when he killed that lion and killed the bear. Remember we said he either beat it, he beat it to death with something. Presumably it was his own hand or perhaps it was even one of these rods. But this was something with which the shepherd would fight off any danger that was posed to the sheep. The staff was something different. The staff was that long stick with the curve on the top that you see that when he paints the shepherd. The staff was something that the shepherd used to help guide his own sheep, perhaps when he was walking. But in this metaphor, the staff is something that helps comfort the sheep. If a sheep was getting too close to the end of a, a canyon or a crevasse of some sort, one of the things that the shepherd would do with that staff was he'd reach over, grab, hook that sheep, and yank him back away from the edge of that disaster. Might not have been real comfortable for the sheep to be yanked back. But it was comfortable for the sheep knowing that before he went off the side, the shepherd was going to have him back and pull him back. So it's that way with divine discipline for us sometimes. Nobody likes divine discipline. Divine discipline is painful or it wouldn't be very much good as discipline. But once we see that God is using his divine staff to pull us away from dangerous situations, and that's now with two devices. Then we realize what a comfort that is. We can actually be comforted in knowing that God's not going to let us get away with it. We might fool other people. Other people nobody, nobody in this room may have any idea what you did. But God knows. And guess what? He, since he has your best interest in mind, he's not going to let you get away with it. That's the staff. The rod, the protection, and the staff both comfort the believer. They're sources of comfort because they represent the Lord's presence and His protection. We never will find ourselves in a situation that the Lord is not aware of. That's such a truth. He never leaves us. He will never forsake us. Thou hast prepared a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. With these words, the scene changes from a passage, 
pasture and shepherding and sheep to a banquet hall where some gracious host provides abundantly for its guests. With this imagery, David rejoices in the Lord's provision. The rod and the staff they comfort and they protect, but now he's rejoicing again in provision from the Lord. What's so wonderful about this is, did you see it? This happens in the very presence of one's enemy. So much fear in, in Christian communities of today. Because we see real enemies. And the enemies are at the gate. In fact, the enemies have probably broken through. Probably. But you see what this is saying? That God can still provide an abundant source even with enemies all around us. We may have to rethink our attitude of abundance. What the pleasures of my life is going to going out to eat. I just I really enjoy it. I enjoy nice restaurants. I enjoy wonderful food. And I've been to some really, really nice places. I'm very, very blessed. But you know one of my favorite meals that I ever had cost about two dollars fifty. in Wyoming, behind Castle Mountain, a place called Muddy Mountain. Muddy Mountain's not muddy. I don't know why they call it. It's got trees all over the place. Beautiful place. There's a canyon there. I took a little car back, because I remember taking my own car back there. I took a little car back, drove up this hill, found a place that there was nobody. If my car had broken down, I'd still be walking back. Not 20 years ago, I'd still be walking back, because it was literally in the middle of nowhere. I, I looked up and I watched the eagles flying in the breeze, listen to the wind come down through that canyon. There was not another human sound anywhere. And I opened up a Dr. Pepper and a package of Hostess chocolate Hostess Pepper. And I sat there on the side of that canyon with no other human sound. And I enjoyed that like no other. But I enjoyed it like, like no meal that I've ever enjoyed. It was absolutely If there's starvation in the nation, the Lord may not provide you with certified Angus beef filet. But He will still provide you with an abundance. That abundance may be a nice big bowl of black-eyed peas and rice, a nice big loaf of real thick and hearty bread with some wonderful olive oil. But He is going to provide you with an abundance. Probably need to rethink abundance in our own lives. It's going to be fantastic. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is someone that is showing intense hospitality to his guests. And he says, My couple with me. Remember, he's in the presence of his enemies. And he's saying, My couple with love. Most of us would say, oh, poor me, rescue me out of this place. Despite intending danger, the Lord spread out a table for him. That is, God provided for him. But don't forget the circumstances. Apparently, nothing. One of my favorites of all the things. Surely, goodness and loving kindness or mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life. Two important Hebrew terms, tov and chesed. Tov is the Hebrew term for good or goodness. Chesed is one of those extremely rich Hebrew words used many, many times, many, many times in the Hebrew Bible. It's translated a variety of ways. Love, loyal love, mercy, loving kindness, commitment. Surely these two things, the text says, will follow me all the days of my life. Radaf is the word that's translated follow. But actually, it means more specifically pursue. Just like an animal pursuing its prey, chasing after. That's what happens with the Lord's goodness and with His mercy or His loving kindness, with His temperance. It's not just something passive where you're out there 15, 20 feet in front and the Lord's goodness and mercy just kind of shadows you. No, the Lord's tov and chesed pursues actively and aggressively, just like with your children. You love your children deeply. You pursue them with love and with mercy and with tenderness and with loyalty and with commitment. You pursue them. And God is pursuing you. Do you see now why I say we should meditate on this psalm? And why it's such a source of incredible comfort. You can take almost any one of the lines in here and spend an hour just meditating upon it and realize how wonderful God is. Tov and Hesed. He actively pursues, aggressively pursues us. With Tov, with goodness, and with Hesed, with loving kindness, with mercy, with loyal love, all the days of our life. Not just a little while. Not just in spurts. He never gets tired. He's in constant dog pursuit of you. Like the poet says, like the hounds of heaven that continually chase us down in a good way, though, with goodness and with mercy. Which means that if we are not experiencing God's cold and heaven, His goodness and His mercy, His goodness and His love at any one particular moment in our life, if we're not experiencing that, it's not God's fault. Out. It means we're the ones that have turned away from Him. He, not, he does not turn away from us. It's not God who has abandoned us. It's we who have abandoned Him, and that's key. Because He's in constant pursuit of us all the days of our life. David knew that God is good and that God loves him. And if you know this, I know this, we will avoid this silly custom of anger with God. By the way, God is not intimidated by your anger or mine. He's not the least of his anger. But make no mistake, anger directed at God is always, always, always sinful. Because it is expressing either implicitly or explicitly that God has done something wrong. If I'm mad at him, it must mean he's done something wrong. David would have not done that. And of course, he, he may have at one point. But he would have immediately confessed having done so. Because he realized that God is good. He is fundamentally good. We may be good at times. We're positionally good. But God is fundamentally good. So as a creature, let us not stand in judgment against the Creator and say, you did the wrong thing. That's irrational at best. It should be confessed and repented of as soon as it comes out of our soul. And that's why I do part company with some of my contemporaries. 
to popular preachers, unlike them, I don't think it's okay to be angry with God. I don't. It implies that He's not perfectly good. It implies that He does not love us perfectly. Finally, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house here is probably a reference to the tabernacle. And in that sense, the meaning would be that David would have unbroken fellowship and worship with God. The term translated forever actually literally means something like length of days or over a person's lifetime. That's how it's used in other places where that term is found in, in Hebrew documents. But in terms of significance, David may very well have had in mind that he would have unbroken fellowship with God for all of eternity, both time and eternity. What a comforting thought. What a comforting thought. No wonder it's the favorite of the Psalms. In May of 1920, Fanny Crosby was 65. And she developed, as this fall entered, an infection or perhaps an inflammation in her eye. Since the town doctor was not in town that day, this little infant, Fanny Crosby, was treated by a traveling doctor who was very young and had almost no experience. The doctor did everything that he could. He did what he knew how to do. This young doctor put a mustard poultice on Fanny Crosby's eye. A few weeks later, this little child, Fanny Crosby, was completely blind. All through her life, both she and those that loved her were convinced that the doctor is the one that had blinded her. In fact, still today, if you read biographies of Fanny Crosby, that's what most of them will tell you. Actually, modern ophthalmology has gone back and looked at this and determined that it's very unlikely that that mustard poultice caused her blindness. It's much more likely, based upon what they know about the situation as best as they can recreate it, that it probably was a congenital blindness, something that was going to happen to her. But either way, this was a woman who lived a difficult life. She lost a child, and the child was very young. As a result of losing the child, she also lost her husband. Because as some of you know, one of the most difficult things for a couple to handle is the death of one of their children. I don't know if they ever got divorced, but they did become separated as far as I know, never really reconciled. Although she tried, she wrote him a poem. She was a great poet, and that poem was a very significant one. But Fanny Crosby became, in spite of her disability, in spite of the difficulties of her life, she became one of the most prolific hymn writers, not just of the 1800s, 1900s, 20th century, no matter what century you go to, she's, she's one of the most prolific hymn writers of all time. We sing many of her hymns on a regular basis. Praise Him, praise Him. To God be the glory. We sang that just last week. Near the cross, a favorite communion song. And blessed assurance. That's a Fanny Crosby hymn. Well, one of my favorite Fanny Crosby hymns is one called, All the Way Our Savior Leads Us. As you listen to these lyrics, remember that they were written by someone who by all standards that I know of, had a very difficult life. But this is a woman who really sought the Lord. Listen to these lyrics. All the way my Savior leads us. What have I to ask besides 
doubt, his tender mercy, when through life has been my guide. Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls, Jesus doeth all things. All the way my Savior leads me, here's each winding path, I tread. Give me grace for every trial. Feed me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of His love. Perfect rest to me is come. And my Father comes above. When my spirit closed the morning, wings its flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way.